Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. I think it's the ninth yeah. of May. Prompt me. Thank you. As I say, I did have a title and I've forgotten it. Uh, so it's, it's immaterial, really. It's all a continuation of the same thing. I was talking to the Lord this morning and I was saying to him, it's no good these girls having a notebook full of notes if it's not actually becoming flesh on them, you know. Because comes the time when you'll find that the things that you're being taught will actually start working out in your life and you'll begin to think, hello, that was page six, paragraph C. I remember it. Uh, because uh, very quickly when you're, you, when you're exposed to a word like this, it starts to uh, work itself out and make itself flesh on you. So last week, we're still trying to wind up Psalms 133 and 134. And for some reason or other, I found myself looking at a fence. And I think the reason was is because we're working our way into uh, fellowships and finding out what we really, how we really ought to um, knit together and be together. And so a fence is going to be something that is going to come up um, whether we like it or not. And the, the scripture that we were looking at was Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, um, and the whole of this passage is, as I said before, in the context of church discipline. Um, we actually, I find that as as Christians, and I was the same myself. I don't like the idea of authority in the church, but nevertheless, God's put it there. Um, what is problematic is if, has, if God has not put it there uh, and then you're getting carnal leadership and so what you get is carnality when anything happens um, and so there was problems and they will take hold of uh, scriptures like this and use them uh, out of context. Um, I'll start from verse 15. If your brother wrongs you, Go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you've won back your brother. If he doesn't listen, take along with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's an Old Testament proposition, that. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything's established. That's the judiciary of the Old Testament. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. That's ever so clear in the Amplified. Ever so clear. Uh, that it's to do with judging righteous judgments and it is a judgment that the leadership make. And in the context of this, I believe, it's far more to do with not uh, a hurt feeling or um, a perceived moral lapse. This one is for where there would be a real liability. Like, for instance, if you found out someone was embezzling money and you went to them and said, look, actually, I've seen this and you're doing this thing, and they deny it. 
so then you go to someone else and say look I believe I've seen this so have you seen the same thing two or three witnesses seen the same thing it's actually a court issue it's a legal matter uh, and in Corinthians I think it is Paul goes and, and says that it's commonly reported that you go to court against one another well instead of allowing the church to to do the judging and the ruling and the and the coming down on what should happen they were going outside and using the legal system the judiciary of the country so really believers should not go against believer into a court of law it should be settled within the confines of the church and the discipline of the church but it, it's only on a very serious issue like this you know that it's something actually that is out maybe it was would be an abuse thing that someone had seen that a child was being abused and that had been seen and the person refused to hear um, and when he says, you know, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper, that is saying that whatever the elders decide is wrong, that is the decision that heaven will make, because the elders are praying about it. It's all done prayerfully. The word actually there is scandalon um, that is used there. It's offence. Um, and God sets authority in the church because we're a holy nation. We're called out ones. We're meant to actually be like the Israelites were in the in the desert they had their own judicial system they they functioned under a theocracy so we're under theocracy as well but often it doesn't seem to be like that because we actually go to church on Sunday and that's the upshot and the end of it really then our lives don't touch for a, another week when we come in and have the Anglican handshake and go in and off we go again we have a royal law in operation so an elder must have the mind of Christ in a situation and no, not his or her pet doctrine because leaders are accountable not only to the flock but to the chief shepherd. Uh, it's, a very, it's an awesome responsibility to be in leadership if you really understand what it means because you are accountable to God for what you do with the sheep. That if you understand and know the Lord and have an, a holy fear will cause you to walk very circumspect when you're dealing with them. So for wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers, this is verse 20 now, in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And then Peter chimes in and says, how many times have my brother sinned against me? And, and he says, well, you just got to keep forgiving him. But this issue here, um, we've got David's notes here on Matthew now. Um, Jesus instructs uh, the wounded party to go privately to the offender and attempt to make some peace. Failing that, should the offender want to continue the matter, then the person should take one or two, as I've said, and it becomes a legal procedure. And the presence of two additional witnesses is so that the matter can actually be brought to trial. And if we remember the, the, the Old Testament uh, situation that Jesus was in in the synagogue, uh, it was presided over by the minimum of three elders. That's why one elder uh, in, in, in a church situation is wrong. Um, and I'm actually saying to the Lord, you know, when are you going to increase the leadership in this place? Because one person just leading is not good. Because you need to have a team of people actually accountable to each other for the care of the flock so doubtless he will raise up those that will stand alongside and become 
corporate overseeing the flock, looking after the flock, but they have to have like minds. Their mind has to be, their heart has to be for the welfare. Always the welfare of the sheep is paramount. The shepherd is looking after those sheep. As I said, I had that picture of the devil sitting in the front row with his legs crossed, absolutely arms crossed, grin on his face, because the elders or the leaders of the church were doing exactly what he wanted them to do. That they were in cahoots with the devil and rending the sheep. Wrong way round. They weren't looking after the sheep and chasing off the devil because the leadership are there to to bark at the wolf when they see it and protect almost at the expense of their own lives really they lay down their, Jesus said he laid down his life for the flock David certainly did didn't he went and killed a bear and a lion uh, so Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 1 to 8 where he's rebuking the Corinthians for using the secular and pagan law courts to settle disputes is is calling on this fact that you should do it within the context of the church so by saying tell the church Jesus means bring the case to the presiding elders uh, that preside over the synagogue and before a person invokes Matthew 18 the process the process you must be certain that actually there exists in an assembly somewhere where the, the judgment can be right and that, com that comes from the body to the leadership, not the leadership to the body, if you see what I mean. We are prone to do it the reverse way round in this country, that leadership pick on the sheep and have them haul them up and read them the riot act because of what they consider they're doing. And that is more personal moral lapses, or which they've no business actually. They need to be helping the sheep through that, not pointing the finger at them. Because as Martin was careful to say on Saturday, uh, sin is dealt with. Do you notice how he said how the church majors on sin? He was quite emphatic and angry about that. So, actually, in those days when Jesus was talking about it, it's called the Bet Din, uh, the, the sort of legal beagles in the uh, synagogue. They also had authority over all legal transactions in the community. They were the legislative body that Jesus was referring to when he said his disciples would function in like manner. They will form the governing bodies of the communities and will be given authority to bind, forbid, and to loose and permit. So he's saying in the same way that these people have got rulership, so will you have rulership. He, will, he was establishing it, giving it to his church. So I think that's probably uh, squeezed all we can out of that uh, to see that these, these things are not uh, the way they're used in the uh, people in the church actually use them to bang you over the head with it. And also they use it in a prayer meeting, don't they? Two or three gather together in my name. It, uh, verse 19, again I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. And that is a scripture that's often, often taken out of context in a prayer meeting to say, well, as two of us here, shall we agree to... I've always had a check about people saying, will you agree with me in prayer for X, Y, and Z? No, no, I don't like that. Because the Holy Spirit has to tell us what to pray for. 
you know, but you hear it so commonly. But there we are, that's, that's all about it. Really. So as we come in to uh, living together, working together in fellowship, brotherhood is essential because it says where um, it's where the peace and the power of God exists, isn't it? When we come together in unity into the blessing and the presence of God. Psalm 133. Sure. I want to go back through these psalms again. I think I'm going to start them again on Monday night. <laughs> I said to the Lord this morning, Tanya's going to be fed up. We're going to go through the psalms. I've said again, I haven't squeezed enough out of it. Here we are. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it is difficult dwelling together in unity. But it's only when there's harmony, as we saw, between the community of believers, can unity be fully experienced and the anointing and power of God can then be seen. And in order for that to happen, something's got to die in us because you will find people upset in your apple cart and your fruit basket. All the time, God will make sure they do. As we said before, it's grace growers, isn't it? Um, something has to die in us if these things are going to take place. I mean, I found it probably on Saturday I'm used to operating by myself, so to work with someone else, two two other people who I don't know, don't know how they how they operate, don't know where they come from doctrinally. So I won or two little short wrestling matches over what what Martin was saying, and I'm thinking to myself, it does not matter. It does not matter. The purity of the doctrine and your idea of it does not matter. So I just sat down there and let let, let it all, you know, go. Um, because the the anointing on the man is is apparent, uh, and uh, it's not it's just not worth it, you know. Just because maybe we've not got the same understanding of a scripture doesn't make any difference, does it? But in the Pentecostal movement, particularly, you know, if you didn't agree with the way they looked at things, so you were out because they were right. Oh dear, that's where the the um, oh, the phrase doctrine divides grew wasn't it because they would split because they didn't agree you know well, well I don't believe there's going to be a rapture of the church so, well, well, well we're not going to fellowship with you then and like the brethren up here won't fellowship with us if we're not part of them you know I don't know even if they're born again those guys I mean can't no way of knowing really they don't go on like that I forgot to tell you a little aside here was, they had a tremendous fire up there on Monday night yeah, um, I, I was laying in bed and suddenly I, this reflection on my bedroom ceiling, I got up and looked, there was a column of flame, must have been 25 feet high, but it was going that way because the wind was strong, uh, 10, 12 feet wide, absolute roar in there. And then I could see figures moving about, so I thought, oh, well, they're out there having a fun and games. But they do the curi most curious thing, usually under cover of darkness, don't they? Edit that out the CD. <sighs> so church, government and authority, when we come to actually looking at um, fellowships and things like that, we will have to cover uh, what elders are supposed to be able to do and what their remit is and uh, exactly what God expects of them. 
and what you can expect of us. That's more to the point, um, really. So I think we galloped through this before, talking about the oil, uh, symbolizing the confirmation that when a person is anointed, the very spirit of God is provided, and God's strength, support, and wisdom are on the person anointed. I know that I pray for wisdom more than I pray probably for anything else. I was just praying this morning, I wisdom cry out, you know, if you have a little look in Proverbs, wisdom is absolutely essential. You cannot move a step without wisdom. It's, it's interesting how, how wisdom is sort of personified like um, a girl, a woman, yes. Because it says, I wisdom stand at the head of the streets, doesn't it? There we are. Chapter 4, verse 5. Get skillful and godly wisdom. Get understanding. Pray for all of these. Discernment, comprehension, and interpretation. Do not forget and do not turn back from the words of my mouth. Forsake not wisdom, and she will keep, defend, and protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is, is get wisdom, skillful and godly wisdom. For skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. And with all you have gotten, get understanding, discernment, comprehension, and interpretation. Prize wisdom highly and exalt her, and she will exalt and promote you. She will bring you to honor when you embrace her. She shall give your head a wreath of gracefulness, a crown of beauty and glory will she deliver to you. Oh, hear my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life shall be many. I have taught you in the way of skillful and godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps shall not be hampered, your path will be clear and open. And when you run, you shall not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn from it, and pass on. And so it goes on about wisdom. Actually, Derek Prince does a wonderful um, exposition on Proverbs 3, I think it is, the beginning of Proverbs 3. And and this is one of the, the, the scriptures that sometimes I, I uh, speak out. It's in, it's in his book of prayers and proclamations, isn't it? My son, you listen to the things. See if you can pick up the words that are active in this. If you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to skillful and godly wisdom, and inclining and directing your heart and mind to understanding, applying all your powers to the quest for it. Yes, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek wisdom as for silver and search for skillful and godly wisdom as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of our omniscient God. There's an awful lot of things you have to do there. Receive, treasure, make your ear attentive. He said that means to bend right down close and listen. Inclining and directing your heart. You've got to turn your heart to, and mind towards it. 
cry out for insight, raise your voice for understanding, seek wisdom, search for skillful and godly wisdom then. There's about seven different things there if you break that down. It's a bit like um, that psalm early on in the psalms, about Psalm 15, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord, who can stand in his, his holy place. If you look at the qualifications for doing that, they're incredible. Psalm 15, who shall dwell temporarily in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell permanently on your holy hill? Here we go, here come the conditions. He who walks and lives uprightly and blamelessly, who works rightness and justice, and speaks and thinks the truth in his heart. That's an interesting thing. It's not what comes out of his mouth, it's what goes on in his heart. That's where we have the problems, don't we? I spoke to someone the other day and she said, God is just showing me what my heart is like. It's horrible. I said, yes, I know. Join the club. We're all the same. Oh, she said, it's evil in there. I thought, well, there's a good thing going on there. She's actually seeing. He who does not slander, now here comes the spoken stuff, with his tongue, nor does evil to his friend, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbour. Be careful what we say about Lynn and Tony. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he who honours those who fear the Lord, who revere and worship him, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's a hard one. Do you remember, I think it was Joshua, that he swore, swore to his own hurt um, when these men told him that they were coming from a long way away. Do you remember that story in Joshua? They brought mouldy bread and hard, empty water skins. They'd only come from just up the road. And they pulled the wool over his eyes. And so that he made an alliance with them because he thought they'd come from a long way away. Subsequently discovered they hadn't. But he'd sworn to his own hurt. So they became woodcutters and whatever for him. Um, you know, don't be taken in is the answer to that one. S swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money to interest to one of his own people and who will not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. It's interesting now there are just some places in the scriptures where you get a whole list of things that are qualifications for, for coming in to what God has got for you. You know, um, it's quite difficult in the days in which we are because the movement that is going on now is all about love and the Father's love. And yeah, that's absolutely true, but God is still holy. So when someone like me comes in and starts teaching on the conditions for coming into everything, it's yes and yes. One does not exclude the other. God loves you to absolute bits, but he still dwells in unapproachable light. So there are conditions, as we'll find when we're on the school, to coming in to the inheritance. We don't come in willy-nilly and lightly, and there are things that we have to do in order to come into everything that God has got for us. And it gets to be quite a narrow walk. You know, enter ye through the straight gate, a narrow place. Pop you through. Push you through and pop you out the other end. My granny's mangle that time. Those of you who know me, that girl, he had a picture of me, young Louise, wasn't it? She said, I saw you going in through one of those big double mangles like the old 
I don't know if any of you remember them. Great big rubber rollers. Shove your sheets through it. That's it. Mum had one. That's it. All the big heavy stuff went through it, winding away. She said, I saw you going head first through there. I thought, that's nice. I've got to come out like Tom and Jerry cartoon, you know, absolutely flat. And she said, you suddenly popped out the other side, dressed in white with your hands in the air. I didn't really quite understand what that was all about until I heard some teaching from Bob Mumford about it. And it, he's really talking about entering in through the straight gate. I'll share it when, um, over the school time because I think it's a good one for that. But it's all about uh, the straight gate, the narrow gate, is the gate of obedience. He squeezes you in through that gate. It's just you and him, nobody else. And the pressure comes on to pop you through the gate of obedience. Anyway, there we are. So, only when there's unity and love amongst the brethren do the blessings of God flow. Uh, uh, when they were 120 with one accord and the Holy Spirit came in them, on them, the blessing and power of God followed the unity that was in that room. There was 120 of them all waiting in unity. Somebody said to me the other day, I was talking about taking your Weetabix, reading the Bible every day, you know. I've read it through, she said. I haven't read the Minor Prophets, but I've read the Bible through. I said, but you don't stop there. <laughs> I couldn't seem to sort of get words for it, really. Um, but you need your breakfast every morning. You can't say, I've had breakfast so I'm never going to need breakfast again. I've had that. I mean, that's the prince. That's the sort of. So anyway, I persuaded her to have a little read. And she came down the next day. I've seen this, and I've seen this. I said, I thought you probably would. And one of the things she thought she saw was that if you're baptized in the spirit, you don't necessarily speak in tongues. And I said, No, I think you're misreading that passage. Well, Paul says. I wish that all of you would speak in tongues like I do, but some of you don't, or something like that. See, he's talking about the gift of tongues, not which is multiple. It's the gift, not the baptism in the Spirit. Went away unpersuaded, but that's all right. But I'm not going to argue the point. I can't be bothered. <laughs> the ed evidence of being baptized in the Spirit is, is, is the speaking with new tongues. And if that doesn't come forth, it's usually because this is in the way because we're rationalising it, or we actually don't want to lose control. There's, there's someone over in Frinton, isn't there? I don't want any of that. He said, I'm not talking in tongues, like, don't, don't want any of that. And I thought, keep your mouth shut, Bill. <laughs> like Deborah, she went forward at New Wine and, uh, for something, and the man laid his hand on her and said, Father, would you baptise her in the spirit with the evidence of new tongues? No, I don't want that. No, I don't want that bit. <laughs> and the man just looked at her and thought, well, it comes as a package. <laughs> I mean, I, I know people who are baptised in the Spirit that actually don't speak in tongues. Uh, your brother John was the one. Oh, that was so funny. Did he ever tell you what happened? Somebody got him in a dark room and stayed with him until he spoke in tongues. Is this man said to him, I'm not leaving this room till you speak in tongues. <laughs> oh, John. So guess what? His mind got out of the way and he did it. I mean, the, the old Pentecostals, they used to move your jaw, pat you on the head, smack you on the back. <laughs> oh, 
dear oh dear, as if that was going to facilitate it. I think mainly it's what goes on up here. And as I said to the lady that was asking me and said that she knew someone who was baptised in the Spirit didn't speak in tongues, I said, well, it's probably because there's too much of her in there. What do you mean? Well, two things can't occupy the same space. And if her head is full of objections to why it can't come out of her mouth, then it won't come out. It'll come out when you're relaxed about it and praising God and getting yourself out of the way and out it comes. Because it is funny, odd, because it's supernatural, isn't it? I mean, I sat on it for a fortnight, so I know I know what it what it's like because I was going to the Dartford Penty at, at that time. Find out what it was all about. Let it go, dear. He said, "It's not me." Says I, telling the biggest porky. Can hear this language in my head. Uh, there we are. So, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Evidence is new tongues. They all spoke with new tongues, didn't they? So it's in there somewhere. It's just we need to find out why it's all not coming out. Don't know where I went there. So unity and love, that's right, amongst the brethren. All in one accord. It takes some doing to get people in one accord, doesn't it, really? You come in, one of them's had a row with his wife and the other one that just backed up into something and you all come in with the hump. And so, of course, the first thing is that the unity goes because we've come in with something on our minds and the first person to say something out of order gets it there. Or a, there's a fence immediately. Takes brokenness. And then unity comes. As I said, something's got to die. Got to decide that it's going to go. It's only in humility and forgiveness of one another that we come into that unity because in our nothingness, he becomes everything. And again, it's it's not, uh, I'm going to become nothing so that he can be everything. Because the focus is then on me, what I'm going to do. The focus has got to be on him so that you forget about yourself. That's the way it works. It took me a long time on Saturday because I was so nervous during the worship to actually get into the worship, added to the witch I only had a, a quarter of the song sheets. <laughs> I'm looking for the ones. I'm thinking, where are they getting this from? I haven't got, I haven't got any of this. And eventually I just put it down because I thought, it's not on here. Something has gone wrong with my song sheet. So I just decided I'd pray and s sing the, along with the tune and s put tongues in to match, if you see what I mean. <laughs> As you do. Uh, and, and when I finally got to a place of peace, because, oh, Boy, I was so scared. Um, I got lost in worship then, and of course it finished, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm on. Oh, and it all came back again. Like this morning, I was over, over there, and that tune, that song just takes me off. And I, uh, God gave me the title for this morning, and it just, I thought, that's a good one. Thank you, Lord. And then I was up there in heavenly places with him. Lost it. <laughs> So you've got no title. <laughs> Just completely lost it. So, in our unity, God's anointing comes to sanctify us and empower us. And it shouldn't surprise us that it's such a priority because it was also a priority of Jesus. 
John 17, 20 and 21. This was Jesus' high priestly prayer for us. And he says, verse 20 in the Amplified, Neither for these alone do I pray. It's not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever come to believe in trust in, cling to, rely on me through their word and teaching that they may be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me it doesn't come overnight oneness and living in community doesn't come overnight it comes as we defer to one another in things and not insist on having our own way or on our rights or any of that. And as we start to come in to agape uh, rather than eros. I've got a little picture somewhere. I copied a lot of these but I can't remember where they went. Would you like to pass them round? I'll keep one for myself, thank you. It's amazing how it all comes back to one thing, really. Yeah. Comes back to that place of abiding. this little diagram leads to intimacy intimacy with the father coming down from the father his desire for us is intimacy with him we stay in that place of abiding unless of course we take a left turn there to religion which is an eros hook or worldliness which is the thing on the right there and you see this eros, uh, the lowest thing, where the, the, the death, death line is, and the unbeliever is below that. We're pressing on the upward way. We're going into intimacy with the Father, but the two main diversions for us are religious activity and worldliness. Going back into works and worldliness. I saw someone recently, and um, I spent quite a long time with her, she gave me a, a, a long history and, and there were loads of things I could flag up and I thought, crumbs, well, this needs a res residential, you know. Uh, so much stuff flagging up. But right at the beginning of the conversation, the Lord had said to her, I don't know how many years ago, I want your submission. And I'm, while she's talking, I'm sort of flipping back where I'd highlighted things and thinking, Lord, where do you want to go here? And suddenly I'm thinking, the issue ain't the issue here. <laughs> the issue for why all this has happened and why you're in this place is submission. Because in, in 
disappointment, which was offense, back to that one again. She was offended because God didn't do what she wanted her to do. A close relative died when she pleaded that he would live. So she was offended that God actually didn't do what she wanted. And the enemy came in and said, wouldn't submit there if I were you, you never know what's going to happen. We don't know what he's going to do, what he's going to take away. Go back to self-government, which is what Martin was talking about, which was what the enemy lured Adam and Eve with, was self-government. So she went back to self-government. Uh, she's got quite a number of allergies, a frozen shoulder, um, problems here, there and everywhere. And eventually she really felt that she needed to come and talk this lot through. And she said, really what I need is someone to talk to. I said, I need to go back to my counsellor and uh, talk to her. And I thought, nah, as both my would say, nah. So the Lord, you know, is so gracious. He suddenly said to me, she needs revelatory rationale for what's going on. So I picked Graham Cook's brains and used the disciples on the road to Emmaus where they're saying, you know, we thought and we thought and we hoped and we expected, but none of this happened because they're telling Jesus what happened. What's happened, boys? And it wasn't until they constrained him to come in with them, that's the first thing that happened, they said to him, come in and eat with us. And then as he broke bread, their eyes were opened. So I did a little bit of eye-opening under the power of the Holy Spirit and said to her, I think this is what has happened. You've actually taken yourself away into the wilderness. And I could see the flooring. I said, you, in a minute, you're just going to be grinning and saying, how on earth could I have done that? Because I just watched the Holy Spirit show her what she'd done. And she went out of fear skipping laughing i don't think she's going to need four hours counseling or talking anything through with anybody because she saw that way back there where he'd asked for submission and she said like remember martin on saturday nope i could do this on my own walking down the church nope don't need you thanks very much striding off in the wrong direction she'd done that and uh, as the holy spirit just showed her so uh, we just, actually, she prayed a prayer of relinquishment. That's what she did. I gave her about four different prayers and said, how about this one? Mm -hmm. That one? Mm -hmm. Well, how about this one? Which is about fighting to get what you want and finally realizing that you've actually got to lay it down and let God do what he wants to do in the situation and it was at that moment the Holy Spirit showed her what she'd been fighting about and wanting desperately pleading for and not getting which had caused offence in another area of her Christian walk and as she relinquished that great big broad grin spread on her face everything all the little things dropped into place we can run with God, but we can't hide. 
And if we've got any sense at all, we're giving what he's asking for because he does not want to press us into the tight, squeezy place of circumstances to get out of us what he knows will be better for us. We think because the enemy tells us that it's not safe, he's not a safe God to let things go to. But hang on to this bit. Uh, but it's a lie. And we don't realize that it's the enemy that's telling us this lie. We say, I'm frightened to let go. No, you're not. You're believing a lie. That's what's going on there. He's telling you, I wouldn't let that go. If I were you, you never know where you're going to end up. Well, where you're going to end up is in freedom. And where he doesn't want you is in freedom. That's what it's all about. He will keep you in your flesh because of this bottom, this little bottom figure. The hook is self-love, self-protection, to possess, acquire, and if we've got it, to control it and keep it. And the only way is to let go of it so that he hasn't actually got a hook into us anymore. So we come into the agape love, which is the one with the little crown on the top there, which loves without seeking return. And that is, an, that is the process that we're in. And as that goes across the body of Christ, there will be unity in diversity. That was the title that God gave me this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So the title of this talk is Unity and Diversity. <laughs> I thought, that's neat, Lord, that's real neat. <laughs> completely forgot it. Unity and diversity. We're all different, but we're all being unified in as much as we are being brought into the image of Jesus, every one of us. That's his stated purpose, that the character of Jesus might come through. Not that we lose our personality, because we're all like precious jewels and each one of us is a treasure to him. But the distortion that has happened as a result of the fall, as a result of what Adam did and is compounded down through the ages, our characters are not pretty. <laughs> so we need a character transplant. That's what it's all about. When you start coming into agape instead of eros, you see the whole... Th I thought eros was just sexual love because that's the way it's portrayed, isn't it? Little bloke in Piccadilly Circus with a bow and arrow and a bit of ribbon round his middle. Cherub, eros. That is eros, isn't it? In the, mm. Piccadilly, that's it. But wouldn't, doesn't Satan love to portray him like that, see? Arts and flowers and little cherubs with it, bows and arrows. Bows and arrows are all right. They're what he fires in. Anyway, that's... that's uh, there is agape. And the nearer and the closer you get into intimacy with the Father, the more you hear his heartbeat and his perspective on things. I always, always, always have to stop myself and say, Father, what's your perspective on this? I can see what I can see, but what are you seeing? in this situation how do you want to make a mid-course correction so that this brother or sister can be brought into alignment with what it is you want to do 
Death works in us, but life works in you. It's all about life and death, you know. We're either working death with each other or life with each other, one thing or the other. Hopefully we're working life. Yeah. It's a good little exercise um, to look at the one another's in the Bible. Love one another, consider one another, you know, esteem one another, lift one another up. There's loads and loads of one another's. Good little exercise, quite frightening really. So we're to act in love because we love the brethren and one another. And Paul said that the whole of the law is summed up in this one commandment or statement that you love one another. And agape comes from God. And the only way we will do this is as we yield to the present moment in God, as we yield to his dealings in us. That happens consistently and constantly, humbling ourselves before him that he might be all in all. And then rivers, not dreams, rivers of living water will pour out of us as is promised because the flow of the Holy Spirit will be unstopped and there will be a river to meet everybody's need. You don't just have one, you have rivers. Each person's need can be met by the different river coming out from you. Good stuff, isn't it? And you get to be a blessing. And the essence of God's blessing is life. Blessing in every form speaks of life and cursing in every form speaks of death. And throughout the Bible, God always is the same. He says, keep my commandments and teachings and you will have life. That's why he says it. Not because he's mean, not because he's trying to take something away from you, but so that you might have life with a capital L. Do you remember the Billy Graham um, thing years ago? Mm. Yeah. Very clever bit of advertising, wasn't it? Mm. Took me ages to work out what it was mm. all about. And Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, Abide in my teachings and you will have abundant life. I'm up for that. Life more abundantly. We most of us got abundant death. <laughs> I am the door. Do you remember the uh, bet when we looked at the Hebrew just briefly? I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me to the Father will be saved, will live. He will come in and he will go out freely and we'll find pasture. David's still trundling on with these things. I can't keep up with it. I must have four or five up there now and I haven't really grasped the Aleph and the Bet yet, let alone going on to the Dalit. I think that's the next one. And the, uh, I can't remember the name of the next one. But I, it's so deep that I'm still enjoying the Aleph and the Bet. You know, how Jesus is nestled up against the Father's heart and his door is open but equally everything proceeds out from him because all things were made through him absolutely brilliant who's in control I am the door anyone who enters in through me will be saved will live he will come in and he will go out freely and will find pasture the thief 
comes only in order to kill, steal and destroy. I came that they might have life and ha might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. We do need to be reminded of verse 11 too. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd risks and lays down his own life for the sheep. But the hired servant, he who merely serves the wages, who is neither the shepherd nor the owner of the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, deserts the flock and runs away. And the wolf chases and snatches them and scatters the flock. Verse 13, Now the hireling flees because he merely serves the wages and is not himself concerned about the sheep. He cares nothing for them. I pray that God will raise up shepherds that care for the sheep, that will lay down their lives for the sheep. And that doesn't necessarily mean a physical laying down of their life, but it means a laying down of their lives in serving the needs of the sheep. Because we are here, leaders are here to serve you. Janice uh, and Martin on Saturday, I, I was just saying to Janice, how do you want to do this? And she said, no, no. We are here to serve you. And I'm thinking, I'm not used to this. Please can we do it the other way round? I'm used to people saying, well, let's do it like this, you know, this, this and this, and let the Holy Spirit in here. I'm not used to people coming up to say, I'm here to serve you. It's the total upside down of the way church has been run up until now. But servant heart, servanthood is coming in to leadership and therefore you will see a different brand of sheep coming out. The sheep will be confident. They will know the master's voice. They will hear from the shepherd himself, not from the hireling or the under-shepherd. Our role, prophetic role, is to teach people to hear the voice of God for themselves. The prophet's primary role is not to prophesy, but to teach the sheep to hear God for themselves. That's, that's you'll always, always, always hear me saying, lady I saw yesterday, I, I just kept saying to her, let's ask him, let's ask him, you listen, let's ask him, ask him, we listen. I said, if you spend any time with me, you'll find I'll get right on your pip, because all I keep telling you is, let's pray, let's hear, let's find out what he's saying. No good coming to me for advice, I haven't got it. <laughs> he has. Not me, as uh, Derek Brown said that day when he said about the angel, uh, and John in Revelation, John goes to fall down, you know, before the angel, and the angel goes, not me, him. <laughs> it was the way he did it, it was absolutely a hoot. Anyway, there we are. So we're coming into the time, I believe, where shepherds are going to be good shepherds. They're going to warn the sheep about the wolf. They're going to go out there and get the wolf by the throat. See to him not going to let him come in and break down. I can remember when I was at the community church, I had, the Lord had me run round, I was younger, run round the whole congregation in the school hall, um, doing like a war dance right the way round because I was going round the outside of the flock, keeping the wolf off from the, off from the sheep. I could see myself like this little red Indian with his chopper going round there. <laughs> Woo! 
sight to be seen. <laughs> anyway. Jesus said, abide. Then we've got our little Udar, abiding. It's all about abiding. It's all about Psalm 91. Abiding in the secret place of the Most High. Years ago, went to uh, Brown Sea Island. Anybody ever been to Brown Sea Island off of Hampshire there? They've got lots of peacocks, haven't they, on there? And we were, it was, must have been with Stephen and uh, my husband. Uh, we were going to have lunch. Sat down on a dusty path on a little bench. And just behind there was a peahen. She was sitting, just sitting. Didn't realise she was sitting on anything. And up between her feathers came this little head looking round. And then down it went. And it came up again. It was right in under her feathers. Psalm 91. She she literally was covering this little bird. I don't know how many more were under there. But it knew its way how it could get out and have a little look round and come back down again. It was after. I always remember that. She just continued to sit there while he poked up and went down again. Absolutely amazing. Secret place. Most high. Abide. Under the shadow of the Almighty. I've broken that down before for you. He who dwells in the secret place, that's the heart of God. The Most High, that's El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. You find him with Melchizedek in Genesis. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's El Shaddai, the breasted one, the nourisher. I will say of the Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one. He is my God. Adonai, the one in whom I will trust. They've got about half a dozen different names of God in that first verse. Absolutely amazing when you break it down. And yet it all looks the same in English, but there's all those different characteristics of God in there. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. He's the most high God. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the self-existent one. Ah, oh, it's all in there. Elohim, that's the other one. The most powerful of all the powerful ones. So when you're dwelling in the secret place, you've got all that protection. Be daft not to, wouldn't we? So life is the essence of blessing both now and forever. Many Jewish people actually think that Christianity is a religion of death because the favourite Christian symbol is the cross and it's a symbol of death. Yet the Bible is all about life and life to the full and life is what God is all about. He is not about death. God created life and that's why if you study uh, the book of Acts you'll find how the Jewish disciples taught. You'll find that the emphasis is not on the cross but on the resurrection. I was talking to someone the other day and she said it's the cross. I said, sweetheart, don't look like that. Because when you've gone through the cross, then comes the resurrection. You don't stay there. You come through. The good news is not that Jesus died. The good news is that he's alive. The good news is not the cross, but the empty tomb. He's alive. And we are raised up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are actually, what's it say in Ephesians? The manifold wisdom of God. And I'll finish with this. Hello, manifold wisdom of God. 
I don't know where I was reading about this. Yes, it's Ephesians 2, 6, it's Ephesians 2, uh, 6 and 7. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together. That means the work's finished. Sits down. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God because he's done it. So we're joined with him. All the work's done. We come into the rest of God. In the heavenly sphere, by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, oh, and I think I've got the wrong verse, but never mind, limitless surpassing riches of his grace, his unmerited favour, and his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. The one I wanted was where we are. Um, isn't it funny? I've got a different Bible. Where he says the manifold wisdom of God that we're being... We're being shown to the principalities and powers that we are the manifold wisdom of God. Eh. It's Ephesians 3.10. He's talking about actually the church being concealed and now revealed. Verse 9, also to enlighten all men and make plain to them what is the plan regarding the Gentiles and providing for the salvation of all men, of the mystery kept hidden through the ages and concealed until now in the mind of God who created all things by Christ Jesus. The purpose is that through the church, hello church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. That's what we're here for. To show God's wisdom to the principalities and powers because Jesus overcame it all. Where it says, I think it's in Colossians, for this purpose Christ was revealed to destroy all the works of the evil one. That word destroy is dissolve. I like that. I like that and I use it when I'm praying for people in deliverance. I dissolve. Dissolve. Puddle. All the works of the evil one. It's just rendered powerless. So, I'll finish with this one here. Now to him who by, in consequence of the action of, his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes or dreams, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.